Enjoy the flick. We have to go back. everyone welcome back to the flashback flicks retro movie podcast i'm ricky i'm grayson and today we are getting an upgrade uh i I snuck the podcast guy 50 bucks and uh and we're reviewing the 1996 movie the cable guy starring uh ace ventura and ferris bueller and a surprise jack black like this, anyway. We'll go down a cast a, list. Yeah, later. a surprise there's, everybody. Yeah, there, there's a whole list for that. Yeah, it it's uh, pretty astonishing. Let's take a step back. Let's take a look back at how this movie got made. Um, originally um, planned for a vehicle for uh, Chris Farley, um, Cable Guy. Oh, it explains a lot, doesn't it? Yeah. Um. I mean, yeah. So that so that was the original plan, and um, originally the um the screenplay was written by a um relatively new writer, uh, Lou Holtz Jr. And um, the version of the script that was originally pitched and ultimately bidded for almost a million dollars, seven hundred fifty thousand dollars, was the purchase price of the script uh, and described by Judd Apatow, it was originally supposed to be a, what about Bob annoying friend movie where the cable guy was a likable loser who intrudes upon the cable subscribers life, but never in a physically threatening way. Mm. Uh, Jim Carrey, Apatow and Stiller liked the setup of somebody who was really smart with technology invading somebody's life and opted to add slapstick and darker tones, uh, changing it to a satire of thrillers such as Cape Fear, Unlawful Entry and The Hand That Rocks the Cradle. Uh, and the dialogue would also fit Jim Carrey's style of comedy. Because uh, Jim Carrey at the time, if you remember, in 1996, he was making all of the money. Uh, he was a household name. I know that's the reason why I watched The Cable Guy at a very young age. I shouldn't have watched it. Hmm. Parental supervision was definitely advised. And he, at the time, he made a record-making number of money for his role, uh, which was $20 million. Wow. He could have bought so many scripts with that money. So many. That's that. That's like, uh, just for inflation, that's like, like two scripts. Uh, <laughs> Inflation's really I'm, doing a number. Yeah, yeah. Oh. It really is. <sighs> and a lot of people actually um, incorrectly uh, remember this movie as it being a flop because it actually did very well but it's that weird 90s thing where if it didn't make a stupid amount of money because they compared it to like Jim Carrey's other openings uh, and other uh, features that he made so uh, with a budget of 47 million uh, it went on to make I want to say a little over 50 million in the domestic box office but worldwide it made over 102 million so i don't know what they're complaining about yeah see that's Um, the thing i think it's similar to like what we explored with the geely effect where there really was like a lot of merit to this movie but publicly it was like uncool to like it for whatever reason which is bizarre when you look at the awards that it got so yes it did get nominated for uh, a stinker award, which is like, I don't know, a discount version of the Razzies. And it got nominated for most painfully unfunny comedy. It's like, okay, but 
On the other hand, on the positive side, it won a blimp at the Kids' Choice Awards. Uh, Jim Carrey got favorite movie actor. And then at the MTV Movie and TV Awards, Jim Carrey won twice for best villain and best comedic performance for this movie. And then there was also an, an additional nomination for the film for best fight between Jim Carrey and Matthew Broderick for the medieval time sequence. So it's it won more good awards than bad awards. And I think it just got kind of panned because it's a little ahead of its time. Um, and I think it's... You know, there have been several movies where Jim Carrey is so versatile that you don't really, if you go in expecting one thing, you are going to be surprised. And I think this was early enough in his career where people were like, oh, this is also dark and sad and scary to some degree. And I think it's just a transition movie, but a very important movie for his career. Absolutely. I mean, like you said, it was very divisive. It even split the rating of the iconic Siskel and Ebert. Robert Ebert said that Cable Guy is the worst movie of the year for 1996, which, I mean, you ha- he probably just saw Space Jam, so you have to give him a little <laughs> bit of Still riding that high from Space Jam, yeah. <laughs> He's just like, nothing will top this. Bring in the next one. Cable Guy, it's awful. Uh, but actually, Gene Siskel disagreed and thought it was a very good film, uh, saying that it was Carrie's best movie since The Mask. Uh, and Ebert's main problem with the film was that he found uh, Carrie's performance so bizarre and creepy that it undermined the entire story. And his big takeaway is that you're meant to like Jim Carrey and you made him very unlikable in this movie. So for that, he gave it two stars. Yeah, I think it's helpful to to really understand where this was in Jim Carrey's career. So starting from, I guess we'll start from Ace Ventura, was two years earlier. Uh, Ace Ventura, Pet Detective, the first one. And then he did, he did Ace Ventura, The Mask, Dumb and Dumber. Uh, he had a short in there, but then Batman Forever. Then Ace Ventura, When Nature Calls. And then The Cable Guy. Mm-hmm. So all of that's in a two-year yeah. span, but look, it was just like hit after hit after hit. And then after Cable Guy, he did a, another short that was also tied to Cable Guy somehow. Uh, but the next feature he did the, the following year was Liar, Liar, and then The Truman Show, which was a major turn for him. So when we say that this was you know him breaking out of what he really was known for to a certain degree... I mean, pre-Truman Show, there was a very definitive idea of what a Jim Carrey movie was, or uh, it's unfair to say, but should be in the mind of the audience, where they're like, it should be this. No. I love that Jim Carrey had the freedom and the confidence to say, I'm... I'm going to go deep on this character. I'm going to actually have depth to him. And so when you look at that string, that's just astonishing. Of Ace Ventura, Mask, Dumb and Dumber, Batman, Ace Ventura again, then Cable Guy. I mean, he was the, he was the King Midas of comedy. And um, it's it, it almost feels like the Pixar effect where <laughs> Pixar like was creating so many hits for so long that... You know, when Cars 2 came out, people were like, it's the worst Pixar movie ever. 
but also still better than almost all animated movies that were released that year. So it's uh, it's kind of like yeah. okay, man, it might may not be your favorite, but it's a favorite Jim Carrey movie, but it's still better than a lot of other comedies. And I think it's aged really well too. Yeah, I mean, all, uh, so many of the predictions of the movie, and I'm t- sorry, I'm just going to take a quick step back and describe what the movie's about. Uh, so the movie, the premise is a lonely and mentally disturbed cable guy raised on television just wants a new friend, uh, but his target, a designer played by uh, Matthew Broderick, rejects him and has bad consequences after that. So um, this is also on the brink of... The internet, like he, one of his lines is just like, imagine one day you'll be watching television one minute and then playing a video game with someone in Beijing the next. Uh, all talking about like satellites and how information is going to travel fast. And it's just like, oh, like this thing, <laughs> what, what? Yeah, no, I was describing that moment to my wife because I was like, hey, I watch Cable Guy. It's from 96 and he like described modern day exactly. It felt like that moment in Good Place where Ted Danson's talking about the guy who has the portrait on his wall, and he's like, "Oh, that guy, Doug." Yeah, he like guessed it almost completely right. We couldn't believe it. And I was like, "He's yes. telling the future right now." <laughs> Absolutely. And the movie, um, you know, Ben Stiller um, is the uh, the director of this movie, uh, yeah. and, and there are several. Uh, leads for this movie and Ben Stiller being one of them uh but he's like directing and acting is going to be too hard I'll take a smaller role and he ended up playing uh the the twins uh who were on trial uh throughout the movie but like even just Ben Stiller's sense of humor is already just like so off but like in a good way like I feel like um I like you know in the world of comedy we we talk about this kind of like a comedian's comedian Mm-hmm. Um, or even I've seen some Penn and Teller um, uh, shorts where they talk like, oh, like a magician's magician. Like they aren't necessarily making this movie for the masses per se, but they are making. Right. But you really respect the nuance and right. the craft. Because like just all of the little details of like, um, you know, I get I forget what name to even give him. But uh, the cable guy, um, <laughs> every new name he came up with for like different tv characters um even making different references i it almost felt like um you were watching a movie made for people who really love tv and movies because there are just so many not only like dead on tv references uh but there are some scenes where they're just like just basically just remaking uh cape fear you know uh and so i i just overall I think this movie was underappreciated at its time. And before we kind of go into our initial uh, interaction with this movie, I do want to note about the title because there's a fun little uh, story that has to do with Larry, the cable guy. Ah. <laughs> so according to Judd Apatow, uh, Larry, the cable guy's manager was very upset about the film uh, before they even started shooting. Uh, he got a call from his friend, who managed him and said, what are you doing? You can't call this movie The Cable Guy. This guy has been working so hard developing this character. You're going to destroy his career. Uh, and there was nothing that he could do to change it. So, But clearly, Larry the Cable Guy has done way better than the oh, yeah. movie The Cable Guy. Um, I mean, he was in Cars 2. 
Yeah, which we all know no. is the cable guy of the Pixar universe. <laughs> really wanted to make a Cars movie for Cars. Mm, mm, wow, that's super meta. Which is also a little bit Cars 2 as well. Uh, what blows me away is that this was Ben Stiller's second film to direct. Second ever. He did wow. Reality Bites and then Cable Guy. He had done television before wow. that. Wow. But she's like, wow. Yeah. So when you just look at what was really accomplished here, and I think you're, you're right on about you know, comedians, comedian. Like watching this, I can tell you my personal connection to this. I didn't see this movie until college because of the word of mouth of people saying, oh, yeah, you can skip that one. And eventually I was like, I, I want to see this movie. I'm just going to watch. And I was like, what is everyone talking about? And then watching it again this week, I was like, this, I mean, it gets better and better, I think. It also locks it into that time. So I feel like that's why it's aged well is because the predictions were so accurate. Um, but it's at this perfect moment in time where content was so massive. There's so many channels. People were just going crazy over. I mean, it was, media was bursting at the seams, but there was a very limited conduit to actually get it. And so it happens at the exact right moment where, yeah, a cable guy has a weird amount of power over people in society where he has the ability to just cut them off completely in a pre, you know, internet everywhere uh, environment. So looking back on it, I was just like, this is such a great moment. And yeah, maybe it plays a little bit as like a period piece with how much they, you know, the importance they put on cable, but uh, it was a blastery watch. Yeah. So my first interaction with this movie, I, I, I can't, explain it other than like i had to have rented this movie because i was such a huge jim carrey fan that like there's no other way i would have seen this but i distinctly remember watching this movie and feeling really sad as a kid because uh, jim carrey is one of my favorite actors and, and i feel like most people in the 90s especially uh kids who grew up in the 90s love jim carrey oh, it's just like sure. this is an option this guy is doing what I want to be. He's who I want to be when I grow up. Yeah. Um, and I remember The Mask being one of the first movies I ever saw where I actually related to the character. And I thought to myself, like, I feel just like him. Uh, and this movie, I just remember being like, as a kid, just I'm like, I'm so sad for Jim Carrey's character. He just wants a friend. I thought I was going to laugh <laughs> during this. <laughs> Uh, and and I and I think that that's the movie's kind of uh, uh, I don't know what to call it other than like a pirate's curse uh, because you have the gift of Jim Carrey but you also have kind of like the curse of Jim Carrey's reputation of like oh well Jim Carrey had made all these other kinds of movies this movie's going to be in the same vein and it wasn't mm-hmm. um, and I think that it's uh, those expectations being subverted uh, I mean has more commentary to do. With, with us as audience goers because we complain when people don't give us what we expect. And then also if they give us exactly what we expect. So it's tough. Um, even rewatching it, I didn't particularly care for it until I started doing research for it. And I was like, Oh, now I get it. I think that this movie would have been more commercially successful if it would have swung the pendulum either 
on the dark aspect of the uh, tone or comedy aspect. Mm. Um, because I think it was, it's literally right there in the middle because I think one of the more infamous dark comedies that you and I are especially familiar with is The Room. Um, and The Room, mm, 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 uh, yeah. and The Room kind of says like, oh no, we're a dark comedy because I think they initially went out to make the, make a drama um, but then when people start laughing at it, they're like, oh, let's, uh, let's lean into this. It's a dark comedy. And so all that being said, I really think that that would have helped its reception. But again, Ben Stiller, I don't think feels, I mean, based off of the research I could find, doesn't feel bad about how this movie went. And even the original premise, it was supposed to be slightly lighter, but as the process went on and as more people got involved, it just became this thing that... I think is exactly what it needed to be, you know, uh, warts and all. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I think that's a very fair assessment on, it really came down to audience expectation for the most part mm -hmm. where, uh, I mean, I, any comedy legend, uh, an icon goes through this as they try to you know, transition to something new. It doesn't have to be to drama, just anything new. I'm thinking of Steve Martin when he said, yeah, I'm, I'm done with stand-up, really. I don't want to tour that way anymore. I'm really into banjo music. And people are like, uh, what? They'd go to his concerts and like expect stand-up. And he's right. like, no, I'm doing banjo stuff now. Um, and so it can be hard for audiences to make that jump along with the the performer right. um so it's always so interesting to see what were those movies that really you know made that turn tom hanks is a great example too i mean uh, you know bonfire of the vanities and all that like it just he got panned on certain things and then he's like all right that's fine i'll just go win a bunch of oscars and it's uh, i mean it's it's tough to like you said live up to the expectation while also not just doing the same thing over and over again um, but yeah, this movie, uh, it exists in a very interesting time capsule. Uh, another note about rewatching this for whatever reason, I completely saved over Matthew Broderick with Ben Stiller. No way. I, I knew Ben Stiller was associated with it, but in my mind, this was a movie with Jim Carrey and Ben Stiller, exact same movie. Just it was happening to Ben and Wow, your mind deep faked. <laughs> it really ben did. I uh, it the movie started and I go, Oh, I didn't know Matthew Broderick was in this. Oh, oh, he is the he's the guy. Okay, he's, he's the, the guy. main guy. He's not the cable <laughs> guy, but he's the main guy. And then I yeah. continued to just be surprised by this cast with not just Matthew Broderick, but Leslie Mann, like you said, Ben Stiller. Yes. So I was double shocked again to see that Ben Stiller was, in fact, in the movie playing two characters. Uh, neither of them was the one I thought he was playing. You got both members of Tenacious D. You have both members of Mr. Uh, Show with David Cross and Bob Odenkirk. Janine Garofalo, yep. uh, pre-Mystery oh, Men team-up. Oh, Owen Wilson. Andy Dick, Kathy Griffin, uh, the boss from Just Shoot Me. Eric Roberts yes. as himself. There's just so many cameos in this. And I, I feel like you know when I see that many cameos, especially actors who, sure, they were also coming up, but you could tell... Ben Stiller got his friends to be in this movie, and I love that. Yep. 
I think that's Absolutely. so great. And being like, this this is my family. Like, I'm trying something really big here. I'm going to surround myself with people who, you know, are along uh, for the journey with me. And uh, yeah, that was maybe my favorite part of rewatching this other than Jim Carrey's performance and everything he brought to that was just being like, man, Ben Stiller has a lot of great friends <laughs> was my <laughs> big takeaway. Oh, uh, maybe the real cable connection was the friends we made along the way. It, it uh, was, yeah, I got a little nervous when I realized Jack Black was also in this with Jim Carrey. And I was like, man, this is going to be a lot of facial expressions. Ah, uh, yeah. But it all worked it, out. Uh, it all worked out. It really, it did. It did. Grayson, you know, I'm, um, I mean, not to brag, mm. um, but I too grew up on cable. And uh, one of my favorite things about... Um, being connected to cable um, was being able to tune into my favorite show called Head Cannon. Head Cannon. Head Cannon is the part of the show where we share with you unique ideas and untold stories based on evidence provided by the film. Mm. Uh, my largest piece of Head Cannon, and I dare you, Grace, I dare <laughs> you to tell me otherwise. Okay. This is just an extended flashback of me, myself, and Irene. Oh, okay. <laughs> so if yeah. you don't remember, Me, Myself, and Irene was a movie about uh, Jim Carrey playing a nice guy cop with a mm -hmm. dissociative identity disorder. Um, and he must protect a woman on the run from a corrupt ex-boyfriend and his associates. It is also categorized as a dark comedy. I think that this just does it. I think it just fits too well yeah. uh, for it to be anything else. No, I, I think that's really solid. Um, that actually helps my headcanon immensely. Oh, good. Uh, I didn't pull in me, myself, I ring. I first, so I got hung up. I'm like, well, this is the second time Jim Carrey has ended a globally televised event by making, you know, definitive decisions. <laughs> uh, but that was the extent of it. Yeah. Uh, that's good. That's good. just with everyone watching at the same time, but, yes. uh, to, to springboard off of me, myself and Irene, um, I, I I initially went back to the same headcanon that I use for every Matthew Broderick movie, and that's the Fight Club theory. Um, yes. You have a reserved lead uh, with an over-the-top guide into this new world. Yeah. And, I mean, even when he asks him his name, like Matthew Broderick asks Jim Carrey his name, there's this pause, like almost like he's creating it, which he was, but like he's creating this name. Um, and... Even Chip's childhood flashback, I feel like, is more of a history that Steve could have invented uh, to explain his behavior, much like in Fight Club. Like They explain all of it, wow. like where he came from, how it happened. And for major scenes like medieval times, I think that's actually Steven watching a medieval time-based show. You know, like oh. he's watching something in the like yeah. in the genre, um, and because it, there's a weird, weird kind of theme throughout that fight where they start talking almost exclusively about Star Trek, and I think he yes. switched the cam, he switched the channel, and he's getting it mixed up, and all of it's all being filtered through you know what he's actually experiencing on TV, but coming out in this fake world. But there was a second head cannon that I had. 
that I was nervous that this was actually the twist at the end. And the headcanon is that Chip, or the cable guy, was the brother that was supposedly murdered in that trial. When they first go to the dish, they go to that big satellite dish, and Jim Carrey has that monologue about being, you know, hit bludgeoned in the face, and he got reconstructive surgery. Um, And... I think my my headcanon then is that the twin brothers work together. I I feel like they were so miserable in their current life. They work together to really get out, to really start a new life. And so Chip was so desperate to start over that they faked his own death to really just have a fresh start. I think that's what the lisp is. I think he's, I think he has a famous voice. Like people would know him by the voice. So he lisps to... Uh, mask that as well on top of the reconstructive surgery. And if you look at his behavior, he's he's got the maladjusted nature of a child star. And yeah. I mean, he still stayed close to television. He used to be on TV, but now he provides TV uh, oh, for people. Man. He, that's also why he would have an extensive knowledge of all of this stuff. And in that flashback, I think that is more of like a dream for him of like how his life would have been different if he had been an only child and didn't have a brother, um, that he could have been this entirely different person. So I thought that was pretty interesting, uh, those two ideas for headcanon. And I thought, wait a minute, what if you combine the two and Matthew Broderick was actually the other brother that had been supposedly murdered? Uh, and so both headcanons still exist where Matthew Broderick used to be Ben Stiller's twin. He had this plan to get out of the life, had the reconstructive surgery. But by that point, his psyche was so fractured that he invents this entirely separate personality to guide him through this new life. And it would make sense that it would manifest at this point because it's at the height of the trial where he would be experiencing this guilt and reliving all of the the past that he's running away from. Um, And that it would ultimately come in the final moments of the trial, the culmination of everything would be that he would stop the world from seeing this verdict because he knows in his heart of hearts that his twin brother is not guilty, that he actually sacrificed himself to let his brother be free. And when you look at it through that lens, it's actually a pretty beautiful story. Wow. That would have been such a... Man, that would have been a really great twist. I think you can just make that movie, Grayson. So if you... Circle with a C. If you want. Wow. That's really solid. I, I mean, I think that's a better time than ever to just mosey on down to our next segment of the show where we like to talk about recast and remakes recast remake if this movie were to be made today who'd you cast what would the storyline be uh i kind of just want what you said i mean honestly that was just chef's kiss that was beautiful (laughs) if i were to make this movie today i would love to see um what Jordan Peele, though he's producing, I would still love to see his hands to be on this property. Mm. Uh, kind of like what he's doing with the, the Candyman reboot or revival more so. I would love for him to do that with this movie. I would love to see just like what movie he could make that's like, it, it's just called Connected. Because, um, <laughs> you know, it's just like, it's the internet provider or someone who just installs all the tech or whatever. Um, and then it just becomes... 
more and more like weird how oh how did he know i was at this place like oh well you posted everything you post online kind of thing and now i realize i'm just describing the netflix original series you so i was thinking it's called ma and it's terrifying i never saw ma i really wanted to she just wants friends and she uses social media to So I guess they made it. Never mind. They, they did it. They That's it for me. It's on HBO. It's on HBO. For my recasting, I uh would love to see Matthew Broderick's character maybe as Ben Stiller, like in my brain. No. But uh actually <laughs> I would like to see Adam Scott in that role. I think he plays the, the that kind of character really well. And then for the cable guy, I mean, it's such a tall order. It's like recasting Ace Ventura. To, I mean, not not as like maybe socially iconic, but performance-wise, incredibly difficult. And so at first I was like, maybe Zach Galifianakis, but that's kind of like, you know, Jennifer Schmuck's kind of dynamic with Steve Carell. Okay, yeah, uh, yeah. You know, like it, it was like him and Paul Rudd. And uh, I was like, that could work. But I landed on um, Ed Helms. I think would actually do a really great job uh, in this role. Ed Helms or Steve Carell, either either one. Um, but I think they could bring that, you know, that dynamic. Steve Carell pops into my head just because it would basically be like a fox catcher situation. But I, I think Ed Helms would have that kind of, you know, desperate, but Absolutely. still be able to break out, even just musically, uh, being able to do those kinds of scenes, like the karaoke scene, he could really you know, make it his own, not to copy Jim Carrey, but to um, you know, be a vehicle for that Ed Helms brand uh, that was made popular through The Office. Um, so I, I only recasted the, the main two there. It's such an extensive you know, celebrity cast. So I guess just, you know, get the Ocean's Eleven crew on it for everyone else. But for uh, a remake, uh, if if you just totally redid it uh, today, uh, but wanted to take a different direction, not just use the same script, but, you know, make it something different. I would love to see a, a gender-swapped version of this where you have Jenna Fisher as the Matthew Broderick character and uh, Rebel Wilson as the cable guy. That actually yes. feels more um, uh, more enticing as a remake than even just you know doing um, a recasting of the original script. Um, so I, I think that would be a lot of fun to see. And if none of those really appeal to you, just make it a, a dark, gritty biopic of Larry the Cable Guy. Yeah, I mean, at, yeah, absolutely. I would love that because I, I really think that the um, that element that you kind of talked about with it being like a secret identity kind of thing of just like no one is more ignored than like the cable guy. Um, I, I just love the I love the storyline of it being kind of a bait and switch of like while everyone's focusing on this thing here, that person was actually still on the loose or something like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um and so I, I think that that would be, I think tonally that would be really fun, especially with people who are on The Office, because I, you know, I could I could use more of that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you lean into Rain Wilson would be a great cable guy as well. It's a very similar dynamic. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think that, um, and you actually just reminded me, this movie reminded me a lot of um, 
a lot of the character attributes of Abed from um, Community. Mm, yeah, someone someone who is just so um, obsessed with pop culture and media that that is literally how they filter life through. Um, and I don't know why I really relate to that character, uh, but I think that um, I think just casting wise, even if they um, did the reunion, uh, had Danny Pudi and Donald Glover, I would just love to see that reunion. But also, I think uh, Danny Pudi has already proved uh, more than anything that he can, um, you know, be the cable guy on a weekly basis. Yes. Uh, and it's uh, I, I, that would just be fun to see. Um, or even just how you have the roles reversed, uh, where uh, Danny Pudi is uh, Matthew Broderick's character and Donald Glover is Jim Carrey's character. Uh, because, you know, I, I'm not going to complain about more Donald Glover in the world. So I I would just have a ton of fun. And just everyone else on the community cast just um, spins a wheel and just takes a role and just goes in for it yeah they can make it a stage play where they they mix up the roles every night just yes. to keep it fresh yes yeah <laughs> i love it i love it all right now we're going to go into our final segment of the show where we like to give you our reasons to recommend so grayson why would you recommend the 1996 movie cable guy or the cable guy because <laughs> it's busier i recommend the cable guy because it is a heartbreaking comedy that at its core makes you realize everyone needs a friend. And I think that lesson is being felt uh, more than ever right now, where people are really fighting to be connected, um, fighting to uh, stay in touch. And that's what this movie is about. It's about a guy that's, you know, through circumstances has been disconnected from the world, and uh, you know that could really apply to both the main characters. Both of them have been dif- disconnected from relationships, from reality, um, and by extension, you know what it means to really be a friend, to be connected to another person. And it's just, uh, I don't, I, I couldn't help but watch this and feel like you can't go through this experience and not want to be nicer to people. It's just been it, this. That's why I recommend this movie. This movie makes you want to be a better person. It makes you want to be more understanding, really understand where people are coming from. Don't be so dismissive. Um, and because I think that's, that's part of like the least likable thing about Matthew Broderick's character, which it's very difficult to make Matthew Broderick unlikable. Um, but the fact that he is so self-centered and dismissive, um, it, you really feel for the cable guy, even though, you know, he, he wins for best villain and all that. The cable guy as a character is, um, in my opinion, a more relatable character than anyone else in the movie, not from like a, a, a bizarre aspect, just as a very human level. Don't we all want to you know, have a best friend if you feel like you don't have one. And if you do have one, don't you want to just spend time with them and, you know, have adventures together and all that, have these conversations. And when, if you get shut out of that, if it's one-sided, that's devastating. And so you're seeing a series of one-sided relationships in this movie. And uh, it's a cautionary tale. And I think the other side of the cautionary tale is... Don't let yourself be so consumed with media, with entertainment, that 
that's the reason you lose connection with what it means to be human. One of my favorite moments of this entire movie is when the satellite dish gets cracked and all the cable goes out and all that. And Kyle from Tenacious D just turns and looks at a book and picks up the book and opens it. I was like, that is such a beautiful culmination of this whole story. And so uh, I recommend The Cable Guy because it's an incredibly human story. And I think that is what makes it hard to watch for some people. And I think that's why it is solidly a dark comedy because a lot of times when we look at our own lives, we're living the ultimate dark comedy. So I recommend The Cable Guy because there are a lot of lessons to glean from it. And in a lot of ways, even without dated technology, it's more relevant than ever. Absolutely. Well said. Yeah. um, I mean, this movie, I mean, Cable Guy is really like single white female meets what about Bob? Um, I what kind of movie is that? What about that single white female? Hey, there it is. All right. Circle with a T. That's a real Uh, creepy title. Real bummer of a title. Um. I stand by what I said. I think the the biggest miss in this movie is expecting it to be other than what it is. Um, I I think that there are there's room in the world of film for movies like The Cable Guy, um, and it is it, it's a dark comedy. It's it's not necessarily a feel good uh, movie, but I think it is meant to have you. Uh, laugh at some very uncomfortable moments, but then also kind of examine media consumption a little bit more. And I, I'd say I recommend it because if you misjudged it for what you thought it could be or should be, I think it's worth watching for what it is. Um, Jim Carrey's performance is uh, just, you know, amazing per always. Um, The movie predicts so much of what is just our normal everyday life. uh, And it's a nice other like time capsule of uh, pre web 2.0 internet age and how, uh, how difficult it was to connect with people, you know, like it wasn't just, uh, Oh yeah, I'll just add you. On the fizzle bizzle, what I call Facebook, uh, but uh, you, know, you had to like meet and interact with someone in order to even know that they existed. So yeah. I really feel like the cable guy is or would be an amazing episode of Black Mirror and everyone would be like, this is amazing. <laughs> Uh, but I haven't seen Black Mirror because it scares me too much. But I think it was a very astute uh, connection. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. From what I hear about Black Mirror, this would fit like right in there. You've been told uh, so- correctly. <laughs> All right. And that is our review of the 1996 movie, The Cable Guy. Let us know what you remember about The Cable Guy on our social media, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We are at Flashback Flicks. And it would mean like you would be a preferred customer uh, if you could leave us a rating and review on your podcasting platform of choice. Uh, it really helps to get the word out. It like 10 times the impact and the reach that we can potentially have. And we can reach more uh, retro movie lovers by seeing that this is a highly rated show. So if you could give this a, a rating on a scale of one to five cables. Oh, Yeah. 
where it's like uh you know one star is like basic cable and five stars uh-huh. like all the premium packages uh right. so i guess three star would be like i don't know you got like a sports sports deal you got more sports <laughs> I don't know. there's there's like a range it. there yeah yeah mm-hmm. yeah and, and some of you might just like the sports package which is maybe that's five star for you, you. Was, yeah 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 give us what would be your five star man rating. i really just lost um, that sports crowd oh man i mean i think we've already lost the sports crowd based off the movies that we review here on the podcast um Oh, yeah, we, we really should do Mighty Air Ducks. Bud. Yeah. Oh, Airbud, Mighty Ducks. These these are what sports are to us. Hunger Games? I, I guess not. I mean, For the archery. Yeah. <laughs> For the archery. It's an Olympic sport. Right. Mm-hmm. And be sure to tune in next time right here on the Flashback Flix Retro Movie Podcast. Until then, remember to be kind and rewind. Next time on the Flashback Flicks Retro Movie Podcast. With Trolls World Tour uh, making a home release uh, at home and on demand, uh, we are going to take a look at a movie with our own little monsters. That's right. We are reviewing the 1989 movie Little Monsters. Oh, it's gonna get savage. Fred Savage is in the movie. He is Uh. in the movie. And Howie Mandel, we couldn't be more topical. Oh, it's gonna get Mandel. Talk about your Mandela effect. (laughs) My Howie Mandela effect.